Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see everyone. I hope everyone had a, uh, a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, spending time uh, with family, or it, for some of you, it might have been the, the drive back home getting away from family. I don't know. Um, but I hope everyone has had a, uh, a reminder to be thankful over these past few days. Um, but it's good to be together uh, to worship the Lord as we begin this Advent season. Uh, one of the, the traditions in our family, not regarding Thanksgiving, but one of our weekly traditions, every Friday night we have pizza and a movie night, which is two of my favorite things, uh, pizza and movies. Uh, and so we made the, the uh, in investment, maybe, uh, investment with quotation marks, uh, of getting the Disney Plus streaming service. It has all these Disney movies and everything, Star Wars, Marvel, and all of that, perfect for our, our geeky and movie-loving family. But since my kids are my kids, they mostly stay within the channels of Marvel and Star Wars. And so every, every Friday night, it's usually one of those two. Uh, and we actually recently rewatched one of my favorite Marvel movies, Gal or Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and for those of you that haven't seen it, the most relatable characters in the movie are a talking raccoon and a talking tree. Uh, and so that just kind of sets the precedent for what you're getting into there. But one of my favorite parts of the movie, one of my favorite sections of dialogue, is just before the big fight with, against the, the main villain of the movie, uh, and two of the characters start arguing about coming up with a plan. And so this one character, Peter Quill, for, for those of you that are familiar, he's Star-Lord, uh, but he, he's the human on the team, but... Peter chimes up and he says, I have a plan. And Rocket, he's the talking raccoon, he says, you've got a plan? Okay, first of all, you're just copying me when I said I had a plan. And Peter says, I'm not copying you. I have a plan. That's not a unique thing to say. And so Rocket responds and says, secondly, I don't even think you have a plan. Peter says, I have part of a plan. And Rocket says, what percentage? And Peter says, I, I don't know, 12%? And Rocket starts maniacally laughing at him, saying, that's, that's, not even, that's not a plan, that's barely even a thought. And they end up barely surviving and end up saving not just the planet, but they save the galaxy from the villain. But I love that dialogue of how much of a plan do you actually need to have before it's actually considered to be a plan. I love the, the, the dialogue and the arguing and the bickering and they end up becoming more like family than just teammates because of their relationships to one another. But in their arguing over what constitutes a plan, we look at this passage in Jeremiah 2011 and believers can have hope that's what we're celebrating this morning, is the, the hope of Advent. Believers can have hope because the Lord doesn't have 12% of a plan. He had 100% of a plan before you were even created. Believers have hope because of God's eternal plan. And in fact, I would even argue that the passage that we're sitting in this morning displays that God's process leads 
to the believer's hope. And for those of you that like to take notes, I'll say that again, that God's process leads to the believer's hope. First, we see in verse 11, the plans that he has set. The plans that he has set in verse 11. Secondly, in verses 12 through 13, the faith that you seek. So first, the plans that he has set, and secondly, the faith that you seek in verses 12 through 13. And lastly, in verse 14, the people he restores. So we see the the plans that he has set, the faith that you seek, and the people he restores. And before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for for this time that we can come together, uh, that we can bring all of our, our joy and our sorrow, that we can lay it all at the foot of your throne. That, God, we don't have to compartmentalize, that we can bring all of ourselves in worship of you because you are big enough, God. And I pray that in your holiness and in your righteousness that you would be with us now. Pour out your spirit in this place. Speak through me in spite of myself. Communicate your gospel hope this morning. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So as we begin the process of of walking through Advent over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be each week looking at Advent through, uh, through prophetic scriptures, uh, and we're gonna, going to be unpacking Christ through Old Testament prophets. And this morning, as we unpack the theme of hope, we're sitting with the prophet Jeremiah. And specifically, we are beginning with the plans that he, God, has set. Just to give you a, a quick little lesson of, of where we are in, in Jeremiah, uh, this letter, and this prophet himself, he's placed in a time of history where the nation of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, uh, the, the nation of Israel to the north and the nation of Judah to the south. And Judah has had this chain of ungodly rulers seeking to serve themselves other than the Lord. And at this time, there's actually a godly king in charge named Josiah who's bringing scriptural reform to the nation. He's pointing the people back to God's word. And at this time, Jeremiah is called to be the prophetic voice to the nation. And here's the really, uh, the, the, the thing that blew my mind, especially with my, my history of youth ministry and, and my love for teenagers. At this point in his life, Jeremiah is somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. Imagine that, being a teenager and having the authority of the voice of God to an entire nation. That is what Jeremiah has been called to. And at this point, he's actually writing to people that have been taken as exiles by King Nebuchadnezzar back in the year 597 B.C., So at this point, part of the nation of Judah has already been captured and taken into exile. And the rest of the nation will be conquered and taken into exile in just a few years. And it's within that context that Jeremiah says, 
for I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Again, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, in the Old Testament, anytime you see Lord, all capitals, that's actually the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That is the name that God gave to his people, that, that, that I am the great I am. So whenever you see Lord, all capitals, that's, that's Yahweh. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. This verse is one of the most abused scriptures in the entire Bible, taking second place probably only to Philippians 4.13. Because we love taking verses out of context where God says, I'm going to give you stuff, and we like to ignore everything around it. And you'll see wall hangings and picture frames and little desk things and captions on photos where people love to be reminded that God has a plan for you. We like to say that God has a plan for me to to give me hope, to prosper me. And he does. But you have to look at the immediate context. Remember, At this point, part of the nation is already taken into captivity. Part of the nation is in exile, and the rest of the nation is following soon. And that is not a surprise to God. He knows that his people are about to be humbled, is putting it nicely. And that is God's plan, too. being humbled and being conquered and being taken into exile, that was all part of God's plan. But we don't like that news. We just want to be reminded that God wants to prosper us and that he has a plan for our future and hope. We want God's plans and promises, but we only want the good side of the news. We don't want the struggle and the hardship and the exile. And that's natural. I don't want to shame you by saying that. I don't, want make you, I don't want to heap Christian guilt on you and be like, you should be ashamed of yourself for wanting good things. No, that's natural. But the problem is we look at scriptures like this and we end up treating God like he's this spiritual Santa Claus that we can give him this spiritual wish list. And as long as you've been good enough, you'll get a shiny new bike for Christmas. And that's the way that we approach God through Scripture. And yet Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, who makes himself known in relationship, he is a God who refines his people. That does not just leave them as they are, but he makes them better. His plan is to make them righteous and holy. Before creation itself, this God, this this covenant God, Yahweh himself, chose a people to be his own, and not just the nation of Israel, but you today are part of God's eternal plan. This covenant God has chosen you to be his own. And in the process of being refined, sometimes it hurts. Like the process of refining precious metals. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the process, but it involves being placed inside of intense heat. 
to burn off the dross. And especially if you're refining uh, uh, metals for, uh, for weaponry or, or to, to be shaped into a certain image, after the heat, it needs to come out and be hammered and, and pounded to take a specific shape. And a lot of times, that's how life ends up feeling more than we care to admit that we feel like we are in the heat and the flames and the pressure of life. And we think that it's our suffering, but part of God's plan for you is to refine you into something more precious. It's all for the good of refining you toward holiness. And this is part of what Paul is writing about in in Romans chapter 8. When he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Maybe not according to our standards of good, but according to God's standard for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, it means he knew you before you even existed. He foreknew you. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those whom he foreknew, the ones that he had chosen before they even existed, are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is his purpose and his plan for you. His plan for you is not uh, to just give you your best life now, to quote crazy Uncle Joel, but it's to make you more in the holy and righteous image of Jesus Christ. That is the future and the hope that Jeremiah writes about. Even though he hasn't seen Christ yet, he knows that God's plan involves giving God's people a true future and hope, not just here on earth, but an eternal hope. And on this side of history, we know that that is met and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so next time you see this verse plastered somewhere, you go to someone's house and you, you see a wall hanging with Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you don't have to make fun of it, but I encourage you to remember that that is God's plan for you. Not just to prosper you with stuff and wealth and peace here on earth, but his plan for you is to mold you in the image of his son. And and part of that refinement process can be difficult and messy. Sometimes it's peaceful. Sometimes it feels like chaos. But it is always to make you more like Jesus. And once the Lord has revealed his plan, it begins to change your heart. And that head knowledge begins to start becoming life change action. And so we move from the plans that he's revealed toward the faith that you seek. Jeremiah's second point. And we see in picking up in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
Remember, God's people at this point, at least part of them, are in exile. And God does not begin his words of comfort by conveying that he has a rescue plan. He doesn't start with, I'm bringing you home. He starts with, I have a plan. And then, then, only after God reminds his people that they haven't been forgotten, then he says, you will call upon me and come and pray to me. In our Western culture, we have this heavy influence and and emphasis on our individual status and the ability to be self-sustaining. This whole idea of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and, you know, no one's going to give it to you, so you just have to take it for yourself. You have to make something of yourself. And we usually end up thinking, well, I'm going to show God that I need him. And so if I can show him enough, then he'll respond to me. Or even worse, you might begin thinking, well, I'm going to show God that I'm worthy of his love. And we believe that when we show God enough that he will respond to us. But God's economy is the exact opposite. God's people are in exile. They're in captivity. They're taken away from from Jerusalem itself. And God says, I have a plan for you. He reminds them that, that he is still in relationship with them, that they have not been forgotten or abandoned. But yet, part of God's plan for them was that they needed to be humbled. And then, they needed to be reminded that they needed God. Then and only then would they return to God. They had to be humbled first before they could even return to God. And he says, you will seek and find me when you seek with all of your heart. Parents, this is not like asking your kids if they've looked for, your, for their shoes right before when you're trying to head out the door. Like, no, I don't see them anywhere. But no, this is a wholehearted searching. This is a, a search of desperation. This is the, the search for your car keys when you're already late to pick up your kid from school? This is the, the search when you've dropped your wedding band on the beach and it's fallen into the sand. This is a, a soul desperation search. It's relentless. And the author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him being God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God's not just some kind of gumball machine that you put in a quarter of faith and you get some kind of treat back. But he wants you to desperately search for him with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. It's not just enough to believe that God has a plan for you. But he even gives you the faith to believe in him. He wants you to believe 
Not just that he exists, but he wants you to pursue him and to dig deeper, to not just ask the surface level questions, well, I guess there's a God out there, so I'm good with him. But to those who seek him and wholeheartedly seek him, God says, you will find me. And I don't know where you are in your faith. I don't know where you are in in your spiritual life or in your spiritual growth, but I want to ask, are you actually seeking God? Or is your comfort, well, I I prayed a prayer when I was 10. I walked walked the aisle when I was a kid. Well, our family goes to, to church every week, but I'm just so busy during the week, I don't have time to actually sit in my in my Bible. I don't have time to actually sit and pray. Are you relying on one-time events instead of having an active pursuit and a desperate search for the living God who has made himself in covenant relationship with his people? I want to challenge you, wherever you are in your faith, if, if you're questioning who this God really is, or if you're someone who has been raised in the church your entire life, I want to challenge you, wherever you are, search for God. Dig deep and ask those difficult questions. Because I'm confident that when you dig for truth, that he promises that he will reveal himself. And finally, in the third step of God's process, he gives the believer eternal hope as we hear him talk about the people he restores. Looking at verse 14, I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares Yahweh, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God's people will be found. They will be restored, and he will bring you back from the exile that he sent you into, because again, that's part of his plan. Yahweh, this covenant relational God, is speaking to his people in exile, and he comforts them, saying, I will restore you. But here's the thing, in the immediate context to God's people that received this word, it did not happen in Jeremiah's lifetime. In fact, most of the people that were in exile at this time did not survive to see a physical restoration to the nation of Judah. But the restoration that God gives is more than just a physical restoration as he gathers his people from all the nations and places that he has sent them. There was later a physical restoration. God's people returned to Judah uh, in, in around 538 B.C. But we see hope personified as spiritual restoration and that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ, who came five centuries later. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he says, 
He has delivered us, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This Jesus that we celebrate during Advent is the birth of God in the flesh. That Jesus was born so that God's people would have ultimate restoration, ultimate redemption, the freedom from guilt, the freedom from the punishment of sin, because Christ was born to die as your substitute. That he took your sin on the cross with him and gave you his status as a righteous child of God. And that hope is not just for the future, but it gives God's people hope for today. It's not just some vague concept of eternity, but it's hope for today. First, because he's given you his righteous status so you don't have to earn it. Jesus already did it. Jesus ran the race and finished And you're the one that gets to claim the reward. But secondly, it's hope for today because all of this life is part of God's plan for you. None of it is by accident. So not just the joys and the successes and the wonderful moments, but the struggles and the heartaches and the suffering are part of God's plan for you as well all to refine you in the image of this holy Christ child. Your depression, your anxiety, a life filled with sickness and death, all side effects of the fall, but all are being used by a holy and loving God to make you holy as he is holy. So God's plan for you is not just a good luck charm. It's not a a lucky rabbit's foot or a a horseshoe over the door. Jesus is not some sort of buddy Christ that's your best friend when everything's going good, giving you empty promises of health and wealth. Because sometimes life does feel like you are in exile either spiritually or physically, sometimes even both. But our hope is being reminded that this Yahweh covenantal God does not abandon his people. You are not forgotten. God has a plan for you to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And that plan is found in Jesus Christ. Because in him alone, you are declared righteous. And you are made a child of the living, eternal God. And so this Advent season, do you find yourself feeling hopeless? Do you struggle with feelings of being forgotten or abandoned by God? Are you longing for something better than what this world has to offer? 
I have to ask, Christian, will you trust in the plan that God has for you? Will you seek him with all of your heart and find your soulful rest found only in the restoration in his son, Jesus Christ? Will you place your hope in him today? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we confess that far too often we try to be our own hope. We confess that, that sometimes we, uh, we grumble and we complain about the refinement process of this life. And God, we pray that you would remind us of the hope that you have given to us, that, that you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned your people, but you have given us true, ultimate restoration and redemption found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Remind us that our hope is not just in eternity, it's not just in heaven down the road, but God, that you give us hope for today because we find our restoration and our rest itself in Jesus. Strengthen our weary bones. Bring peace to our souls as we rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. And it's all in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.